0: Welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren, And I'm Michael. All right. You guys ready for a sadist serial killer yet again? We have a suggestion to cover. Thank you to Alex Shanley who gave us this case. Kind of flies under the radar. There's, yeah. There were so many Pacific Northwest serial killers working in the 70s and 80s that a guy like Dayton Leroy Rogers could slide under the radar. Isn't that kill, unbelievable? <laughs> uh, you know, upwards of, you know, almost 10 people in just absolute horrifying manner. You know, just an absolute sexual sadist, loved to torture women, got yeah. off on um, biting them, drawing blood, and um, basically hearing their screams in agony. And uh, when you dive into his childhood, you can see a little bit of what creates a monster like this because he, he had a pretty shitty upbringing. Oh, yes. This is a
1: nurture incident, I would say. Yeah. Right? This, because he had, he had siblings. He had quite a few siblings. Uh, that as far as we know, turned out okay, I guess. Um, But, you know, if this guy's been
0: hidden in history for this long, then who knows, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's a conversation to be had here as well when it comes to the dumping of victims. Um, Cluster dumps seem to, uh, Mm. to be more effective as far as not getting caught and being able to continue to kill for a longer period of time yes because uh, but i feel like when you look at some of the more successful serial killers like ted bundy was was kind of famous for the, the cluster dump as well yeah and which it, it just concentrates the the chance of you getting caught or the, the chance of the victim being found a person has to stumble into one little area as opposed to you scattering the bodies around in a um like what was his name The uh, scorecard killer, Randy Kraft. You know, he he was dumping bodies off the side of the highway all over the place. Same as like William Bonin. Right. A lot of those guys. There was bodies being found everywhere, which creates its own problems. But I feel like you just can completely, especially if you're picking like this guy's um, method here was picking up sex workers who weren't necessarily going to be reported missing or weren't going to be missed. Right. Uh, He would kill them and put them all in one little. Tight area in the woods, and until a uh, hunter finally stumbled across this this site, you know he would. There was no nothing to, you know, no one even knew right. what was going on. Really, and that's the bad. Sex workers work in downtown Portland. Kind of, they w- they would notice some of the girls coming up missing, and they knew of this this uh, Steve character uh-huh. who was, you know, a sadist, and every now and then would pick a girl up and torture them, and actually let them walk, but. But they, yeah, they knew him as Steve the Gambler, right? That was his alias that he used over
1: and over again, which is weird that he would use. That's another part. uh, That's another thing about this guy. was that he was so bold in the way that he acted, his MO, his actions, where he did some of
0: these killings was so bold.
1: It's amazing he got away with it as long as he did.
0: You know? Once again, you know, it's, it's about the victims that you targeted during this time. Yes, you're right. 70s and 80s. You're right. Into the nineties, if you Nobody targeted cared. sex workers, the police just didn't care didn't that much. Care. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of people like pushing the police to find them either. So Yeah, it took
1: him killing one in the middle of a street before it finally got their attention and then
0: Yeah, in front of a den yeah.
1: you know. <laughs> I mean that's that's the level of of boldness that this guy had, I guess you could call it. Um yep. man, yeah, but the body dump thing, going back to that. That's it's a great technique until one of the bodies is found, though, right? And then it's like a pile of evidence against you. yeah, you know, it's 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 yeah. detrimental. I don't know I don't know what what would be better. I don't know if that's a good tactic or a worse tactic. But I think most of these guys, especially in the Pacific Northwest, they think that this forest is so dense and and so thick and so much rain, you know what I'm saying? And so much leaf yeah. falls and whatnot. It, it speeds up composition exactly. too, all that moisture. Exactly. And even in the summer, with the heat and the moisture and the humidity, it, it does. It speeds it up a lot. And I don't think that that they think that anyone's ever gonna find these bodies, much less much less a pile of you know what I'm saying?
0: Yep. And and then once they once they do get caught, like once they when they when they find that grouping of bodies, it's it's pretty easy to say, Well, this is the work of one person. And then oh they yeah. Just gotta, connect you, like uh, maybe with some little Smirnoff mini vodka bottles and some orange juice bottles. Yeah, and something like that <laughs> that you were known and, uh, to buy. The word of a few <laughs> sex workers that, that know of this Steve the Gambler character and uh, a matching truck and, you know, a lot of evidence but yeah. we'll get to all that. Let's dive into this case. Thank you for the suggestion, Alec. Let's dive into Dayton Leroy Rogers. Let's do it.
2: The enormity of my crying makes the word sorry all but inadequate. It would seem like an insult to even say it. But I still need to say it, whether it's received or not. I am sorry. Oh, fair, sorry fair. Tell him the truth. Tell him what I did. I had no right to take the lives of Jennifer, Jennifer, Rita, Rita. Lisa, Lisa, Noni, yeah. Cynthia, yeah. Christine, Maureen, yeah. and or Tanya. Or- there is never a day never <laughs> that I don't struggle, don't struggle. In the very core of my heart and soul. I became so overwhelmed, repulsed, broken by my own evil carnage, I literally died to self. I desperately sought spiritual rescue from my own personal demons. So yes, I sought a new God. You have heard from some of the good people who have supported my journey since I have been in prison, providing study tools and fellowship. Because of what I've done and caused, I have literally sentenced the lives and hearts of the victim's family members to a lifetime of precious loss and sorrow. I have clearly shown to all of myself that I belong in prison for the rest of my life. I absolutely agree that I have forfeited my place in free society and that I forever belong behind bars till I die. And yes, death will surely bend at me in its due course.
0: All right. This case this week we dive into the Pacific Northwest and then mid to late 1980s to cover Dayton Leroy Rogers. And you know we've covered several cases from the Pacific Northwest in the past. Uh, They were uh, famous stomping grounds for some of the most infamous serial killers in history. Many of which have already we've done episodes on, like Ted Bundy, Gary Ridgway, Jerry Brudos, and Randall Woodfield. But also in the mid to late 1980s, there was another sexual sadist serial killer dumping bodies of sex workers in the dense forests that frequently rain. That uh, get frequent rainfall um, and provide quite a cover for your, your dumping grounds, your cluster of bodies. Dayton Leroy, Leroy Rogers was known as the Malala Forest Killer. He killed street women, usually addicts, sex workers, and runaways. He would pick them up, usually under the pretense of sex for money, then take the majority of his victims to secluded areas where he would bind, torture, rape, and murder his victims, usually with a knife, leaving the bodies in, the, in a forest outside of Malala, Oregon. He was active for five years, well, nearly five years. It was about four and a half years from 1983 January to August of 1987 and is known to have seven to eight confirmed, uh, seven confirmed and eight possible victims. Although there's no telling whether there was more or not. We know we have direct um, uh, testimony of several women that he tortured and raped who survived by one means or another. Um, all of the while, he maintained a business. And I think had there's a big chance there could be more. Oh, for sure, for sure. I, the one thing that would kind of, you know, say no to that theory is that he had the the cluster. It seemed like he had a clear modus operandi, and that he would take the women to the same, at least, maybe not kill them all in the same location, but he would dump the bodies right. in the same location. But there's no, there's no. Well, when I say whether victims, maybe there was another dump site, maybe he had started another dump site somewhere. Who knows?
1: But. Well, right, and also when I say victims, though, I don't, I don't always just mean murder. You know, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. there was plenty oh, of rape and sure. assault victims for that sure. got away or left and were too afraid to say anything. Yep. you know, I mean, this guy was so spontaneous and so violent,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it, they were
0: terrified. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, and all the while he was maintaining a business, had a wife and a toddler son at home. Let's talk about the yeah, book Double though, Life. The, yeah, the book that we used to, to research this case, uh really well-done book called Bloodlust, Portrait of a Serial Killer, Businessman, Family Man, Serial Killer by Gary C. King. It is on Audible. Renaissance uh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's on Audible. I think it's like nine hours, but uh, the the narrator talks pretty slow, so you can speed it up to at least one and a half or even two speed and still take in the information.
1: Nice. Yeah.
0: So let's start at the beginning, as we like to do on this podcast. And, and let's do it. L- learn about the childhood that creates these monsters. So, Dayton Lee Roy Rogers was born on September 30th, 1953. He shares a birthday with T P- T and Truman Capote. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so, quite a quite a yeah. mix there of those two. Dude, Capote, I seen classic a classic uh, writer.
1: I seen a uh, I seen that T pain was trending on Twitter like a few weeks ago. And you know why he was trending? Because I he know, had he just- like two he had like two hundred unread messages from other celebrities in his Instagram uh, request message request box. All these celebrities were wanting to collab with him over the last like <laughs> however like, many years, and he just ghosted all of them. <laughs> just ghosted all of them, not on How purpose. How did someone find out about this? I guess it, I guess someone told him. Was like, mm-hmm. oh, you should check this message box or whatever. Oh, he just didn't and know he, about he, it? Yeah, he put out a, he put out like a, a story on, an uh, Instagram story, and he's just scrolling through these countless. <laughs> it's just everybody's a blue check, too. It's like everybody's somebody. And he's just like, he's like, y'all, I'm so sorry. I've been ghosting all these people. He's like, hit me up if y'all still want to collab.
0: <laughs> They're like, bro, you're not even relevant anymore. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> t- <laughs> But now that you're turning on so- Twitter, let me second <laughs> right? guess
1: this. Okay, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> that's great as someone who kind of thinks celebrities are overrated I, I like that yeah that's pretty cool yeah um, but also Truman Capote um, in the true crime world well known for his novel In Cold Blood known as one of the greatest true crime Dude, novels ever written
1: was that not the first true crime novel written I believe it was I, it can't be the f-
0: I mean it, maybe it, it was one of the first but it was definitely I'll look the, it up the, right the, quick it was definitely the, the earliest really well known one
1: yeah, because I know early crime writings were all fictional because that's the only way people could digest it. They just, they're like, oh, we don't want to hear. It was, it was. Really? 1959. was the murder wow. of the Clutter family in Holcomb, Kansas. It was. Yeah. I thought I read that, dude, because I was reading a little history about true crime, this article that caught my attention, and it was like top top true crime books from history, and In Cold Blood was still one, and then the first sentence, it was like the first ever... True true crime book, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah. nonfiction yeah. true crime book. So that was pretty pretty groundbreaking for the time. I'm sure, yeah. it terrified. So people. <laughs> maybe at some point
0: we'll cover that one. That's quite a quite a novel to tackle. There, you have to read oh. that book if you're going to cover that case. Oh, and of course. I'm sure that book is probably like at least 30 hours on Audible. <laughs> so, oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> That'll I be think a Patreon that's why exclusive. we've dodged that one for a while, because <laughs> we have a week to prepare for a show, and that's quite a book to cover. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, um, hmm. Dayton Leroy Rogers, as we mentioned, was born in 1953, and he was born in Moscow, Idaho, to a pair of seven, devout Seventh-day Adventists uh, named Ortis and Jasper Rogers. And we'll talk a lot more about his parents, especially his dad... Yes, we will. Um, um, but he also had three biological sisters, three adopted sisters, and one adopted brother. So seven siblings. Um, wow. We we recently talked. Uh, I don't know if it was on. Was it on just the banter, or was it on? I think it was our last week's episode. Actually, our last. Um, Probably. How there, how there was a common theme when it comes to serial killers, and when it when it comes to their parents being on opposite ends of parenting tactics. Yes. Yes. One's very strict, and then one's yeah.
1: like more kind and doting. Yeah, and it's, you know, you never do anything wrong.
0: It's funny that we just talked about that because I feel like this case is a prime example. I do this. too. Yeah. Dayton's Dayton's father hated children and never wanted any kids, but his mother, <laughs> Jasperelle, on the other hand, adored children, and thus they ended up with eight kids, four of them being adopted. God, <laughs> imagine hating kids and you end up with eight of them, <laughs> uh, right? I, I mean, almost understand Ordis' anger now. It's like,
1: I never wanted kids,
0: and I have eight of them. What no the wonder fu- he treated them like shit. Right.
1: <laughs> I didn't want them in the first place.
0: <laughs> <laughs> still oh. no excuse, but that does explain yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, so Ortiz, uh, he Ordis focused most of his energy on trying to provide financially for the large family, but the other bit of energy, energy that he had left, he spent physically and verbally abusing his children. He frequently lashed out and attacked the children with no explanation afterwards, you know, like, if you're going to dole out physical punishment for kids, I know a lot of people, some are for, some are against, depending on the severity of it, obviously. Right. But uh, I feel like there at least has to be an explanation for why you're doing it. If you're going to spank a kid or whatever it is, like... You have to, yeah. You can't just do it out of nowhere for no... Like, the kid's, like, sitting there confused. Like, what did I do? Like
1: What did... I... God, my ass hurts. What did I do? Yeah,
0: you just do it and yeah. then walk away. Like... Right. That's That seemed... Obviously, he was doing more than just spanking, too. He was, like, beating the shit out of these kids.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. And I'm sure there were some choice words flying. I'm sure they had a pretty good idea of what was going on. But it's still – it's no excuse to beat your children. Just because – well, let's let's make something clear here. Just because we're explaining what you're doing doesn't mean you can beat the shit out of your right. kids. <laughs> I'm beating <Yeah>. you cuz
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And obviously, the goalposts have moved a lot here. This is the 50s we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 So it yeah, was definitely sure. more common to physically strike your kids yeah. and whatnot. On one occasion, Jasper L's brother, so the mother of the kids, um, so it'd be the uncle, the kid's uncle, witnessed Ortis force young Dayton to sit in a chair while he repeatedly beat Dayton's legs. Dayton amazingly sat there with almost no reaction. Um... And then the family... So this is just adds insult injury here. The family then allegedly sympathized with Dayton, but not uh, not with Dayton, but with Ortis because he had burst a blood vessel in his hand during the assault. So while he beats oh his son God. in the legs while sitting... In, that's some next-level abuse that, like, really sick people do to their kids where they, you know, like, strike them in the thighs because people, you know, like, authorities aren't going to check there for abuse of kids. Like, yes. those, those yeah, areas, that's like, exactly that's next-level shit. Yeah.
1: But, like... I wonder what Dayton did to deserve this for the family to not even sympathize with him after that.
0: What could you, what could he've done? He's a kid, you know, like
1: Yeah. How old was he on this occasion? Did did you do you know? I
0: no, it wasn't specific on an age there. It just Man, said one, I'd time. Like to know. one that, occasion when he that, was he, he was, you know, I think he was well, probably look, under 10 years old.
1: Well, look, if he's able to sit there with no reaction, he's got to be at least a preteen, I'd say. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, not. I mean, it's not impossible. Kids can block out stuff and go somewhere else for sure. Um, but I think he would have to be quite mature.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it, it also says something about the family that they would sit there and defend the father, and that I think they just wanted the attention directed away from them when it comes to the abuse. So like,
1: they're probably you know, afraid of him. There's, yeah, they're better him.
0: better Dayton than me, so I might as well you know feel like I feel sorry for Dad, so he doesn't turn that on me. Yeah, let me get an ice pack for your hand yeah yeah I got you. Um, so Ortis was also very serious about his religious beliefs. He strongly suppressed and had vitriol for sexual uh, thoughts and actions and that the Rogers household was under extremely strict censorship. A prime example was his own Hawaiian record album collection of which he loved the music, however he detested the sluts, in his words, that were dressed in hula dresses on the covers of the albums. And oh, And he would actually God. take time to draw clothing on the women with black ink as to not expose no, his wouldn't. family to such filth.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Are you si- – that is native traditional clothing right there. Like, what the hell? Like, the uh, most imagine, organic like, thing.
0: Sitting down and drawing clothing on them. <laughs>
1: Oh my god! With the little sharpie, <laughs> yeah. just driving like drawing like oversized black T-shirts on them and shit. Like, do
0: you so badly need the album covers? Can't you just? Uh, I don't know. To actually take the time to draw clothing on them rather than just like put tape over it or something. I don't know. This just takes it to w- new weird levels. Dude, there are there are some pretty provocative album covers back in the day, though. It's like,
1: whoa, this came. Well, you think in the about 50s? what a big deal Elvis was because he shook
0: his hips a little bit. You know, like what a conservative culture we had. Yeah. I have this.
1: I have this album by a man named Herb Herb Albert, and he's a jazz trumpet player. Okay, he's he's pretty well known. I, I I found this album spontaneously, and I picked it up for like a quarter, and then I loved it, so I bought a whole bunch of other Herb Albert albums. But in one of his album covers, he has this girl that's sitting there, and she's completely naked, and she's holding a can of whipped cream, and she's just got whipped cream over like her vagina and her breast, and that is it. over the whole oh, the old the Varsity whole- Blues. Yeah, pretty much like that. You, you got yeah. it. But this this record had to have come out in like the '60s, so I would imagine it was pretty pretty uh, provocative, pretty risky. I mean, that's a that's a
0: sexy uh, instrument, you know, the tuba. No, There's it's the a trumpet. 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 Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's... yeah. It can be it can be not as sexy as the saxophone, but it's getting there.
0: Oh, right? dude, the sweet sweet saxophone <laughs> you can't mess with that.
1: Right? It even sounds like sex. Sax, sex. Yeah. So close. I know yeah. what they're doing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Ortis, man, um, he would actually, like we mentioned, draw the clothing on those. And then he also preached that women had se- that had sex before marriage should be stoned, just as it said in the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, definitely. Great idea. So, yeah, that's, that's a, a great a, that's... way to kill the human population. <laughs> 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 what a stupid. How outdated is that shit? Yeah. Oh, my
0: gosh. Yeah.
1: Man, and some Old Testament uh, fogies, bro, they hold on to that shit. They really do.
0: Yeah, it's and we'll, we'll talk more about his father's beliefs and their effect on the his effect that effect on the children of this family. Um, the family moved constantly, partially due to his father wor- uh, following work wherever he could get it. So, in trying to provide for his family and these eight children, um, he would basically take whatever work he could get, whether it was you know painting or repair, whatever whatever it was. They ended up moving all over the place um, for that, but also because his father believed as part of their beliefs in the Seventh Day Adventist Adventists, that uh, the end times mm-hmm. were around the corner, um, right? And so, if you know, if you know this belief system, part of the Seventh Day Advent, Adventist fundamental beliefs was the second coming and end times, which read yeah. that Jesus Christ will return visibly to Earth after a time of trouble during which this during which the Sabbath will become the worldwide test. The second yeah, coming that will be followed by a millennial re- reign of saints in heaven.
1: Right. The Seventh-day Adventist, because they, they put so much focus on the Sabbath, so much so, they think they're the only people that have the Sabbath right, and what they think is that Saturday is the Sabbath. So they go to church on Saturday, and they think that once, you know, the end of time, the time of trouble, the, the uh, rapture, whatever you want to call it, it's going to happen on a Saturday, and everyone else is going to be at home sinning, and they're going to be like, ha-ha, suckers, it was Saturday, not Sunday. Right. <laughs> We're out of here. You're a you're day not, late, bitches. You the boat. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, no joke. They, yeah. they're, they're Saturday churches. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. I just think that that's an odd thing to get stuck on.
0: Right. Right? Hey, it's all in how you, you know, interpret these books, I guess. Everyone it has is. their own take it on is. it. Um, but due to the, his father's strong belief in this, the family refused to live close to big cities, and they often ended up in trailers or shacks on large properties. On one occasion, they lived in what was formerly a chicken coop that had a dirt floor you imagine? Like, wow. that's the filthiest place I can imagine to live, just about, other than, like, living like the Ninja Turtles in the fucking sewer system, but, yeah. like, a chicken coop, there's just, dis- like, chicken coops, they're disgusting. I mean, I have, I have one right now, and I hate to go in there to clean that thing, that you're breathing in chicken shit and dust, and they're filthy animals. Like, just, like, imagine that's your house now. That's crazy. Yeah, man, that's a pretty, pretty horrible living condition.
1: Didn't uh Damien Eccles have a pretty bad living condition as well? Where he, I don't know if he had. He might dirt be the floors. only one that I
0: can think of as far as poverty. Yeah. growing up is yeah. He his house was so infamous that it was part of like a painting because it was like this little tiny shack in the middle of like a crop field, and they got literally crop dusted with chemicals and shit. Yeah, I, that's the only thing I can think of worse than growing up in a chicken coop. Right, I remember that. God, <laughs> that's, that's brutal, normal. man. It's yeah, the chicken coop. Ah, I guess if you sweep those floors real good, <laughs> right? Damn. So you combine that, and there was so much sexual suppression, guilt, and censorship in the family home. Dayton found a way. Of course, as all young boys' hormones get going, they're going to find oh, a way to get their rocks off. Release. And for him, there was you know there wasn't even a, a hula dancer to look at. So he uh, he found an unorthodox fashion, as you might imagine, and he became obsessed with his sister's feet. Frequently stealing their shoes after they went to bed and masturbating with them late at night. What? As he grew older, he got worse in school as well, and uh, out of a sheer lack of interest, was you know it wasn't that he wasn't capable. He was actually you know of normal intelligence, mm-hmm. um, but he just had no interest in school. And his relationships with his his parents also worsened. He grew to hate his father for obvious reasons, and hated his mother for always taking his father's side on things. Right. So yeah, the, it's not it's not going well. No, no. But the, the it, sister's feet thing, I didn't really give you a chance to.
1: No, no, I mean, I
0: talk about that one. I
1: don't, I guess I really don't think it's that weird in a household that is that sheltered, you know, that restricted. It's like, like you said, he's going to figure out something
0: that has yes. something to fixate on. It, and mine and my friend's quest to find anything to masturbate to when I was a young teenager, like, we would f- find porn. Anywhere we could, right. like literally in like deserted lots that homeless people like any any way we could find something <laughs> to masturbate to. So it's like if you're in this household, there's literally absolutely nothing. nothing. So I guess you're so, just like looking at your sister's shoes, like, "Well, oh, look at those." Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I don't you don't just know, create man. something. I don't know. How this works, I don't but, know.
1: You just create yeah. something out of nowhere. You just need something to fixate on, I guess. And then
0: guess what? When that's that pivotal age too, where like oh, your God. your sexual desires yep. are being discovered, like. That's yeah, Formative he went down years. that avenue and then there was no turning back. He was then obsessed with feet for the rest of his right. life. Right.
1: You can't just turn that off now. If you would have just gave the kid normal normal leeway to, you know, We're not play. saying give
0: the kid porn, no. but you know what I mean like right.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Maybe just leave a Cosmo magazine laying right. around or something. Maybe like one know. of
1: those old JCPenney mags, leave the underwear <laughs> section there. Yeah. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> something. Yeah, give something not too Throw bad. Throw that kid but. a bone. Damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. Jeez. <clears throat> So um one of the family's many years uh, or many yearly moves they they were known to move multiple times per year. One of these moves landed them in College Place, Washington where Dayton would attend Walla Walla Valley Academy for 7th grade. During this time he would have his first of many run-ins with the law and uh this is when he and a friend got caught by police shooting a BB gun at passing cars. Yeah, I think pretty standard say, type of way to get in this- trouble as a young kid. That's
1: I think most kids
0: I did the same type of shit. Yeah,
1: I think most kids especially before the time of of the video game invasions, uh you got in trouble for shooting your BB gun at something. If it wasn't cars, it was windows or somebody else or birds. Throwing rocks yeah. or or somebody's dog. In my case, throwing hot sauce packets at cars that drove by and just I got I got like chewed out from my grandma because I shot a squirrel in her front yard. She just happened to be looking out the window. She was washing dishes. And she just saw this squirrel drop from a tree randomly, and being the animal lover that she is, she ran out there to help it. And there I am standing with my BB gun. Boy, she chewed my ass out. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, bet. I felt like shit. I, I don't, I don't know if I've killed anything with a gun since then, other than something that was like suffering. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I guess it, it kind of stuck with me. <laughs> I was just like, what poor squirrel. She, I'm glad. I'm surprised she didn't make me eat it. Shit. She's probably. I don't feel like making right. this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I heard squirrel's not all that tasty I don't do this shit no more, ain't enough meat on it
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can hear her now
0: (laughs) So uh, in the BB gun shooting incident Both boys would get probation uh, But of course Dayton also got a severe beating from his father Oh yeah, of course Following this incident, he would also be sent off to Upper Columbia Academy Which was a church-run boarding school near Spokane, Washington There we go, that'll fix some more limitations Yeah, let's let's stick him in a boarding school now when his grades continued to get worse, and of course he wouldn't have to stay there long because the move, the family would move yet again. That's the only solace in that is like if he got stuck in a shitty situation, it was just a matter of time before they moved what again. What did his dad do again? And he got a fresh start. It, whatever he could. Like, oh, okay. he, was, he would take any odd jobs and wherever work took him. Gotcha. Um, okay, that makes sense. This time their move took him to Pleasantville, Oregon, where Dayton would attend Emerald Junior Academy. This would be the last of the formal education for Dayton Rogers, though he would drop out of the academy at age 16 and moved this time alone to Corvallis, Oregon, where he would get a job as a house painter making two dollars an hour. Okay. He's out on his own now.
1: All
0: right, that's a start. Two dollars an hour sounds like man. It sounds like nothing, but for the time, I'm sure that was like standard. Yeah, it's minimum to wage. Think, to think I made five dollars an hour in 2004 as a grocery bagger for Vaughn's, yeah.
1: I made six like in 2006, two thousand six. To think so, this yeah.
0: was this was what like you know we're talking maybe the early nineteen sixties. He's making two an hour, so right? I think I feel like that's better than five dollars an hour in two thousand. I
1: agree, hundred percent. I
0: was just about to say that. I was like, man, I'm
1: kind of jelly of his wage now.
0: The cost if you go back to the cost
1: of living. Oh my God! Right, you could buy a house for like five grand. Wouldn't it be crazy if you could travel back in time? You know, in that in oh that God. Stephen King book, eleven twenty two sixty three, there's a there's a portal in the guy's uh diner, and that's how he sells his hamburgers so cheap in present day. It's because he goes back and buys his meat from the nineteen fifties. It's pretty crazy. That's just a small part of the book. Okay. It's not really I mean- a
0: spoiler. Of all the different things you could do with time travel to get rich, like buying meat and reselling it at a higher rate, just seems oh, like oh no. low end for me. No, he had tons. Like buy buy Microsoft stock. No. Or- okay. Oh no, this guy was <laughs> rich. This guy was super rich. Like because he gambled on sports
1: okay. because he already knew right. Yeah. So he gambled on sports, and uh, that's how he made all his money. But but he wanted to. There's going to be this thing called Bitcoin. But he ran. <laughs> it's going to be like
0: a dollar at some point. Just buy as much as you can. Right.
1: But he ran the diner, you know, to stay
0: low key, you know, stay under the the radar. Okay. Yeah. You can't mess with that. You can't mess with that. That, uh, as we've learned from Back to the Future, you don't want to mess with the future. That's right.
1: Yeah. Don't fuck with that.
0: Don't want to run into your former self. You know, there's a butterfly effect that happens. That's right.
1: Only one of you can exist. Yeah.
0: So he, uh, yeah. So he gets this job as a painter working in Corvallis, Oregon. And two years later, he would move. It seems like he, you know, it just got so used to moving that he ended up doing it himself as an adult, too. He would move this time to Eugene, Oregon, where he met a 16-year-old girl named Julie, who he would soon marry. And uh, this marriage was not acceptable in the eyes of Dayton's parents, as you might guess. Julie was of a different faith. She was Lutheran. Oh, no. And she had also had a kind of a rocky past. She had been institu- institutionalized in the past for drug and alcohol abuse. Oh, she might as well
1: have been Satan herself. Wow.
0: Yeah. We talked about, you know, these days uh, the 50s 60s when it came to women if they made any mistake they would just get institutionalized oftentimes oh, yeah. we learned a lot about that in the nelly bly episode yes. so a young girl being institutionalized in this time like it holds no what we know now <laughs> yeah holds no weight it's like okay so her dad or somebody just got like sick of her you know and was just like i'm putting you away type of thing yeah probably um, less than thirty days after the marriage uh, began, Dayton would stab a fifteen-year-old girl with a knife. Not the greatest start to your fresh, newlywed marriage.
1: Yeah, that's that's not uh, the best way to start it off on a good foot. You know, it kind of might embark in some trust issues early on. A little bit. A
0: little bit. Possibly. I don't trust it. And a when you bit. learn the details, when you learn the details of this stabbing too, it's pretty absurd. So he starts going on dates with this fifteen-year-old girl. Um, while well, he's just been married just and got married. they go out. Yeah. And so uh, on this particular day, they went to a park and they were sitting under a tree and he just pulled out a knife and stabbed her in the stomach out of nowhere. And it, it, his explanation to her was, I just can't trust you anymore. Um, she responded by saying, Dayton, I love you. And at which point he did an impromptu, um, uh, marriage proposal to her with a knife sticking in her stomach. Okay. Um, He then took her to the hospital and made her promise to say that she had stabbed herself. And this all spawned from he felt that she wasn't showing enough affection towards him that day. He'd picked her up and she was kind of cold toward him that day. So naturally, sitting under a tree, you stab her in the stomach. You know. Right. I'm sorry. I thought you didn't love me anymore, so I was just going to kill you. Oh, but you do. Oh, (laughs) well. But then when you said you you love me, I made it made me feel like an ass. (laughs) You know, I was kind of like, oh man, what I do that (sighs) for?
1: Right. I mean, I love you too. Do you want to get married? Or I mean.
0: That'll teach you to give me the Jesus. cold shoulder. Right. Damn. Savage. So uh and and she actually listened to him when he when he told her, like, you know, just tell the, the authorities that you stabbed yourself. Um, and she would try to tell them this and they weren't buying it, and eventually she would tell the truth that Dayton had stabbed her, and he would be charged with first degree assault and quickly released on bail. It's amazing how many chances this guy gets. Yeah, how much freedom he saying. gets for these. Unbelievably violent assaults on women that he does over and over again. He keeps getting out. For real.
1: I mean the 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 legal system in this case is just as much to blame for these for some of these
0: victims because you knew what you had here. This guy was not going to stop. Like he was he just kept raping and violently assaulting women and they kept and like oh he's a changed man he's better he can let him go just because he was smart enough to convince um, mental institutions and whatnot that he you know that he had been repaired that yeah. he was good and he looked non-threatening on his best behavior
1: he looked non-threatening
0: yeah, he kind of looked younger pictures of him look a little bit like Billy Bob Thornton I thought if you were gonna mm. like if Billy Bob wasn't so old now you could have made him. you missed your chance but you could have made a movie on Dayton Leroy Rogers and had Billy Bob play him yeah maybe like 10-15 years ago that
1: would have been good too that would have yeah. been
0: good for sure. And you could see Billy Bob being that, he could play that character perfectly, oh, God, where it's yeah. like a normal, unassuming, kind of charming guy, and then just switches, a fl- flips a switch, and all of a sudden he's this demon. Oh, yeah. He would do that nice. Oh, yeah. So in October of 1972, at the request of the district attorney, Dayton underwent his first psychiatric evaluation by Dr. J. Allen Cook, who decided that Dayton had no mental disease or defect, which meant that he committed the violent crime knowing what he was doing um and he would end up taking a plea deal down to second degree assault and receive no prison time only a fo- only 4 years of probation so see here we you go get married Another- then you start dating a 15 year old girl and you stab her in the stomach and then you just get some probation there you go naturally
1: that'll help it that'll fix him right up she almost
0: died by the way yeah that girl denise almost died wow i'm
1: sure he learned his lesson though you know i'm sure he's of done course. with stabbing so let's go ahead and wrap it's this up it's not like
0: uh, 6 months later he took two young teen runaway girls into his home oh And began, you know, having sex with them, too. Um, While his wife is living he actually did. Right. Yeah, so with his wife, he took in two young teen runaway girls six months after this incident, after getting out on probation. um, He began drinking more and being inappropriate with the girls, eventually regularly sleeping with one of them, which resulted in his wife leaving him and moving in with a friend. And, of course, he was not going to accept that. His wife was not going to leave him just because he was, you know, had brought two young teen girls in and started having sex with them and stuff. He, he was, right. Her leaving him on those grounds is totally unacceptable. <laughs> Forget the fact that he had just stabbed a girl and gotten away with that one as well. Right, right. Um, naturally, her leaving and going to a friend's house, he would show up to the house where she was staying at, and there was a man there which with which he broke into a fight with and beat up the guy and threatened to kill all of them. So, wow. Wow. Julie, out of fear, you have to imagine, returned home soon after that. Probably yeah. fearing that he was going to show up and actually kill everyone there if she didn't come back.
1: Right. I wonder who the who the man was that she went and stayed with.
0: Curious about that. Yeah, I don't know. Dude, honestly, it could have been like a girlfriend of hers husband or something, you know? Right. It, who knows? But Yeah. Luckily for Julie it wouldn't be long before Dayton would be back behind bars because on August 1st, 1973, this guy's a ticking time bomb. It was just a matter of time on August 1st, 1973, Dayton got drunk and attacked one of the two young girls or both of them, sorry, attacked both of the two young girls with a beer bottle, severely injuring them. So they were still staying with him um, and his wife. He would end up fleeing the scene in his Camaro before losing control and crashing where he was once again arrested. (laughs) He's so reckless and spontaneous. Like, it's crazy, right? If you would think anybody I, I was... never heard any. I never heard anything in his childhood about him having brain trauma, but it almost seems like crazy that he didn't. You know, so impulsive. Maybe right? he did that. We don't. Uh, yeah, the impulsive behavior is just.
1: Well, I mean, you don't know how many times he was smacked or hit in the head or punched by his father. You know, at a young That's age, true. while his brain is still forming, you don't, you don't know, man. And then just, just the, the average childhood of a boy in the fifties and sixties was probably rough enough, you know what I'm saying?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let alone a, an abusive father. And then he had eight other siblings too, you know, which he probably had some older brothers. So I don't know. Yep.
0: Ab- an abusive father that combined that with the censorship and the guilt when it comes to your natural hormones and things like that as well that made you feel like a piece of shit for thinking yeah. anything sexual growing up. and
1: Yeah, it can yeah, throw you over the create- top.
0: Quite a quite a, a stew of confusion within a young mind, and then you start you know you start confusing sex with being bad, and then you can skew that into violence, which you see. Right, he mixed you know violence what? and sexual fantasies. Right, and I
1: think with with sex and violence being both labeled as equally bad, you know, it's like then you think, well, I gotta have sex, so I might as well have the violence yeah. with it,
0: right? Or maybe yeah, the I'm violence doing something bad already. Yeah, yeah. What's, What's the, the, the point? difference? What's the point? Right. Mm. So after the incident where he beat up the two young girls and crashed his car, uh, he would be evaluated for a second time by a psychiatrist and finally appropriately labeled a sociopath with antisocial disorder. And the psychiatrist quoted saying, he is a sexually dangerous person. So due to the diagnosis from this psychiatrist, Dayton. it's funny how these diagnoses, they worked for him most of the time. Like whether... He the last time, you know, he he was found to not have any disorders, and he got a, he pled down, he got a plea deal to mm-hmm. get second degree assault, and basically walked. This time, he gets the diagnosis of having these, you know, disorders that makes him dangerous, right. and he because of this, the judge finds him not guilty by reason of insanity. <laughs> Some bullshit. And, yeah, and looking for a to reason be, to
1: let him off. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so the, the judge orders him to be committed to the Oregon State Hospital in Salem, and this was in March of 1974. So while in Oregon State Hospital, Dayton tried to talk to his wife, but she informed him that she was filing for divorce. I think that was a smart move. Get the hell away from him while you can, while yeah. he's locked away, and uh, start new. But he was able to successfully convince the people at the Oregon State Hospital that he, he just acted on his best behavior. He he just he and he kept moving from like high security to medium to low security. Oh yeah. And next thing you know, he would be formally released in December of the same year. Wow. So you look at his recent past. You know, he stabs a 15 year old girl in the stomach, and then just months after that, he beats two young girls with a beer bottle severely, and crashes his car drunk and released the same year. Yeah, he just spent keeps nine months
1: out. in there. That's it.
0: Yeah. How much rehabilitation for the for this stuff could have happened during that time? And he's, when immediately he was just being downgraded, downgraded. He was doing nothing behavior. but
1: buying his time. That's all he was doing. Yeah. he was doing exactly it's like the what he needed. like the most dangerous
0: people are the best at doing that, the best at convincing mental health professionals that they're normal. You know, they know human psychology maybe even better than them, than the experts.
1: Yeah, probably,
0: probably. They use that ability to prey on people by you know convincing them they're a good person and then in a, In a split second, snapping on them and attacking them, yep, they disarmed what he did to all these victims that he attacked.
1: That's right. they disarm people with it,
0: yeah, and he did that. He used the same tactics tactics to disarm the mental health professionals that were in in Oregon State Hospital. You yes, know, he, he just convinced them that he was a normal good guy, yep doesn't show him the dark side, obviously. <laughs> so nice. three months later, he would meet sherry Miller. Uh, he was now divorced, and he would marry her in October of nineteen seventy five And this would be the wife that he would be with through his murder spree that would occur over a four-year span. Um, Sherry Miller, we'll learn more about her. But in December of that same year, he would rape an 18-year-old girl and was indicted in January. He was uh, allowed to remain free pending a May trial. Amazing to me. You just let this violent criminal just over and over. He's doing these heinous crimes, and you just let him keep being free to do it more. Mm -hmm. And this... In this instance, um, the girl that he raped, uh, he had picked her up while she was walking along the side of the road. It was raining out. She he she uh, took the ride from this seemingly nice stranger, and he would take her to a secluded location where he would rape her multiple times. Um, and at, at a certain point, when he was backing out of this area, because it was raining, his car got stuck in mud, and ah. that's how they were able to catch him. He gets um, caught he, so he much, man. It's like he almost it's got crazy, caught. Right? Almost it doesn't seem to victim. matter. <laughs> yeah, doesn't even seem to matter. He's like almost not even yeah. afraid to get caught at this point. He's why would he be? He right? hasn't been
1: punished really since he was a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so funny for someone who was so brutally punished and disciplined as a child in adulthood just kept getting slaps on the just wrist. Keep getting over slaps over on again. the wrist. By the, yeah. So crazy. Yeah.
0: yeah, so yeah, December um indicted in January and then allowed to be free pending a May trial. And then, of course, before that May trial would come into February of 1976, he would rape one high school girl and threaten another with a knife, apologizing afterward. (laughs) And he would plead innocent uh, for reason of mental defect on this one. The two girls had skipped school and were walking down the street when Rogers saw them and convinced them to go with him. Quote, he was a good talker and his method at the time was to pick up girls, particularly blonde girls. They got in the car with him. They went to get some beer. After drinking beer and smoking marijuana together, he took a paring knife from the glove box of the car and he was driving and threatening the girls with it. He used a coat hanger to bind the girls' wrists and ankles before raping one of them while the other one was in the back seat, afraid, of course. Jesus. In May, he would be acquitted of the December rape charge. In June, his parole for the uh, other knife attack was revoked. In August, he was acquitted for the latest rape charge, but was convicted on, of two counts of coercion and sentenced to five years. Unbelievable. So you're missing the point. Forget all of these rapes. He just right. gets coercion. Don't
1: worry about rape. Just we have,
0: <laughs> if, you're, if you're confused on how this happens, we do have a quote from John L. Collins, who was the Yamhill County District Attorney at the time. He we says, quote, this was... Yeah, he says quote this was a less enlightened time when juries often felt that if the woman or girl contributed to the rape in any way they would not convict him. Mm-mm. In this case they think it, he thinks it was because they drank beer and smoked marijuana with him that m- made them obviously wow. at fault for getting raped, you know.
1: Uh-huh. So, so he just coerced them to drink beer and marijuana. So that's what they charged him for. Man, you can rape whoever you want, but just don't go around coercing people all oh, damn.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it's not like he, you know, it's not like he put a knife to their head, and you know, he could, he, he couldn't have made them do this as well. Right. Oh yeah. Jesus Christ.
1: Unbelievable. Just um, so, the just the age gap alone, though, you know, yeah, should be enough to to put responsible all responsibility on him. He's picking up
0: young teenage girls. Yeah. Yeah, while being married and having a just absolutely despicably violent past as well where you can see a a pattern here. (laughs) Right. This isn't his first offense here.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is not hearsay. This is not she said. This is not a woman came forward, but we have no proof. No, they identify this person, multiple people on this account, two women, you know, and then you can look into him and there's a whole past.
0: There's a whole history in... Mm -hmm.
1: So many, so He's many not stopping. He was
0: awaiting trial for a violent offense when he did this one, when he picked <laughs> these two girls up and raped them. Literally, w- awaiting trial. You know, mm. he, He'd just gotten out in January. This happens in February. He's got a trial coming in May. Yep. If anything, he, he sees the time ticking, and it's like, I've got to do more of this before I maybe end up in jail. So put, letting him out on bail is just an unbelievably bad idea. You had to set that bail so high that there was no way he was getting out before the trial.
1: I agree. And that's a good that's a good uh insight into the way he probably was thinking. You're yeah. right. That's that's the way I felt like too. I felt like he was like well, there's look no Look, he got time out in January
0: on bail and then in February he does this. So he was wasting yeah. no time.
1: No time at all. I mean, in any free time he had, he was going to commit one of these one of these crimes.
0: Yeah, and the prosecutor knew knew what they had here. He said, quote, this man is an extreme danger to the community, particular to young women. He is both sexually and physically violent in without question is a murder case looking for a place to happen. Nailed it on that. And you, you know, that's foreshadowing happening right there. Nonetheless, he still won parole after 17 months, was hauled back for another 10 months on charges of parole violation. He would end up being paroled in January of 1982, having served five and a half years. One year later, his parole supervision was terminated, and he would be fully free. Bullshit, and this is man. when, this is around when his murder spree really begins. I think... After spending those five years in prison, he knew damn well he wasn't going to stop raping girls, but I think he made a conscious decision that he was not going to let them live to tell the tale and get him locked up again.
1: Yeah, not only that, I mean, how bold do you feel now after having gone through all that and you still aren't in prison for life? I mean, you have to be such such emboldened by this. You're like, okay, just those little things got me caught? Yeah, I can fix that.
0: So let's, let's uh, get some excerpts from the book that we got this week, Bloodlust. This gives you a real insight into this man's sickness. I think it was really well done by the author of this book. It says, uh, It has been said that bloodlust is an aberration unique to the human animal. The aberration is clearly sexual violence in all evil. It rears its diabolical head when the host fails to achieve sexual gratification in any other way. As a result, many particular women and children who unwittingly come into contact with such an individual die needlessly and without mercy at his hands. Dayton Rogers, from his late 20s and into his early 30s, was fearsomely known to many of Portland, Oregon, sex workers as Steve the Gambler, and he had been afflicted by had been afflicted by bloodlust since his late teens, perhaps longer. It usually materialized in the form of a headache, inflicting him with a splitting, blinding white pain, and perhaps he always had subconsciously been aware. Uh, that only the only sight only the sight of another's pain the sounds of her anguish or ultimately the spilling of her blood would relieve his own suffering when the headaches began the only way to make them go away was to let his dark side fully emerge quote Dayton seems personable enough on the surface as long as he wasn't in the midst of one of his mood swings he was well known in the small communities of Woodburn and Canby and people seemed to like him Mechanic by trade, his skill he had learned in prison, Dayton ran a small successful engine repair business, was married, and had an 18-month-old boy who was a mere image of himself. Mm. Few people saw the evil that lay beneath the thin veneer, and many of those who were unlucky enough to witness his dark side firsthand did not live to talk about it. Mm. Unbelievable explanation in that That's book. That's a great of, summary right there. You know, yeah. Yeah, of what you're dealing with here. That, that encapsulates And it. over the next... Yeah, over the next five and a half years, from 1982 to the summer of 1987, Dayton would kill nearly 10 women and leave their bodies in the Malala Forest all together in a small area that he revisited regularly. We know this because there was um, small Smirnoff vodka bottles, the little mini, like hotel-sized bottles strewn about, and that was his calling card was he liked screwdrivers, and he would only bottle little miniatures, and that was one of the things that helped connect him to these bodies that were strewn out there. So Dayton would troll the seedy drags of Portland late at night while his wife slept. He claimed that he was working at his shop during the absences, which ranged from a few hours to all night, and his wife Sherry saw little reason at first to doubt him. When she would call a checkup on him early in the early evening, he usually answered the telephone. On the occasions that he didn't, he always had an excuse. He would explain that he had been in the middle of a project and he didn't want to leave to pick up the phone. Or more commonly he would tell Sherry that he had gone out to get coffee, perhaps a bite to eat, anything that would convince her he was only taking a break to get away from the shop for a while. Often, however, he was he waited until it was very late until he was very certain that Sherry was in bed and fast asleep before beginning the prowl. Wow. Yeah, I mean he had so much freedom owning yeah. his own business here. Yeah, and his wife, she she was devoutly religious and somewhat naive. She always trusted her husband and rarely questioned his activities as right. well. So And I think that's the way he liked um, it. Not Being questioned, and I think
1: his shop was actually a small engine repair shop, right? I think he was actually like a lawnmower mm-hmm. mechanic, yeah. not a car mechanic. And yeah, oh, really? I'm pretty sure I'm I don't, don't quote me on okay, that. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, sure. it was,
0: I think it was a small engine repair shop. So yeah, maybe yeah. I didn't even think about that. I just assumed yeah. it was a car. No, repair yeah, when, shop, when they yeah, say yeah,
1: small you... engine, you know, they're not saying that the building is small, they're saying it's small engines that he worked on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. so, so like okay, with lawnmower business like that. You kind of work on your own hours. Any small engine shop I've ever been to, you always leave your lawnmower. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a car that needs an oil change needs to be done that day. So you have a lot of leeway. You have all these projects just sitting around a small warehouse. And I could see how you could have so much freedom. You could work late into the night or you could pretend like you're working late into the night. It it really was the perfect, the perfect opportunity. And you got to know a lot of the community as well. Everybody Everybody has a lawnmower or a leaf blower or a weed eater you know that needs a little work from time to time and you you're the friendly neighborhood repairman you know
0: yep hmm. yeah so let's get to a specific day and this is this is uh this is the crime that kind of does him in here on August 6th 1987 Dayton left his assistant in charge of the shop and drove to the liquor store at the North Park Plaza in Woodburn he grabbed more vodka miniatures from the liquor store before driving home to have dinner with Sherry and his son hmm. um he you know he told her that he had to go to the shop to work very late, perhaps into the early mornings to catch up on some overdue work. As usual, she didn't protest. Half an hour later, Dayton was gone. He stopped off at his shop. He had a couple more drinks and tinkered with some of the easier repair projects. Shortly after midnight, he changed into his stepping out clothes, his going out to pick up sex worker clothes uh, that he kept inside his special closet and waited inside the shop a little longer until he was certain that Sherry had gone to bed. By about 1230 a.m., he was headed toward Portland. So this was now into August 7th. Uh, having been past midnight. Right. And by 1 a.m., he was back on Union Avenue, which was known as Portland's Prostitute Row. After a short cruise, he stopped a blonde near the corner of Northeast Union Avenue, um, recognized her as he had picked her up before during Portland's 1987 Rose Festival. She recognized him as well as a former customer and didn't hesitate to get in. She must not have gotten him on one of his. No. Um, nights where he snapped he's almost like a damn werewolf like he would just snap yeah or out of nowhere he'd seem tor- totally normal and and get them at ease and then boom, yeah yeah that's true try to tie their wrists And up he knew that and, too he
1: them. knew that he had been with her before so he was like oh she's gonna trust me you know i mean yep. we've already done this before so that
0: was mm, that's brutal yeah and no one except for dayton knows the precise details of what happened from 1 to 3 a.m that night but sometime prior to 3 a.m., they pulled into the parking lot of a Denny's restaurant in Oak Grove, a suburb of Portland. With the taverns and bars having just closed, business was brisk there, and it was only the restaurant open in the area at the time of the morning. Michael Fielding, who was 32, lived in an apartment nearby, had gone to bed a couple hours earlier and was sleeping soundly when he heard the sudden uh, muffled screams of a woman in intense pain. Help me, screamed the woman. Please help me. Rape. I'm being raped. As Field climbed out of bed and headed for the window that overlooked the parking lot, the screams became louder. Um, he arrived at the window to see a man run beneath the streetlight. Moments earlier, James Dalkey, 50 years old, had arrived at the Denny's. He was alone as he parked his van and walked toward the restaurant. He heard the woman yelling and screaming as well, but couldn't quite make out what she was saying. But he could see two human forms in the parking lot in the direction from where the screams had come, and although it was dark, he could see two people, a man and a woman, and the woman uh, they appeared to be struggling with each other. There, near the middle of the parking lot, lay a completely naked woman. A man was kneeling over her. Charles Gates, a handicapped customer, had just arrived and barely situated himself in his wheelchair when he heard the screams. Already being outside in the parking lot, he was on his way over to the woman, as was Dalkey. Uh, when the man kneeling over the woman saw Dalkey and Gates approaching, he jumped to his feet and ran in the opposite direction. Um, when they reached the woman, they, they saw that she had many stab wounds and was not breathing. Um, experienced in first aid and emergency medical treatment, Gates noted she was not breathing and tried to immediately began CPR, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, Um, and as a crowd gathered, Dowkey instructed the restaurant personnel to call medical and police help. Uh, So a couple of minutes later, Dowkey again spotted the man he'd seen only minutes before, kneeling over the the nude woman. The man was coming around the side of the building adjacent to the restaurant and was headed for a small foreign pickup and located nearby. That's him. That's the son of a motherfucker. (laughs) I love that (laughs) (laughs) this. A lot of this is also from the book Bloodlust, by the way. They're so mad. They they forgot how to test. If this doesn't sound like (laughs) my writing, a lot of this is from the book Bloodlust directly. Yeah. What's up, creepers?
1: Y'all know I'm not a big video game guy, but I do enjoy a good puzzle from time to time. You know, something that gives me a good challenge, wakes up the old brain, and gets it moving. Enter best fiends into my life, and I'm borderline obsessed. With over a million downloads, this casual mobile puzzle game is just what I needed to keep my brain active and take my mind off the stresses of everyday life. And I know what you're thinking. And this is more than just smashing candy, okay? Best Fiends has thousands of puzzles to solve, with new updates all the time. Not to mention the adorable characters you'll unlock and level up along the way. Maybe you were like me, discouraged about finding a new game that would stimulate your mind and stand out from the pack. If that's the case, give Best Fiends a try. Download the 5-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends for free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R best fiends
0: so by the time the two other bystanders stan and richard bergio had rushed over to see what was happening after learning of the incident they ran for their own vehicles and attempted to block off the exits in the parking lot so that the man couldn't get away however the man drove right over the sidewalk bergio determined not to let the guy to get away and sped out of the parking lot in his own car in hot pursuit of the pickup he chased the pickup through oak grove and into nearby gladstone at times reaching speeds of over 100 miles an hour and he would eventually get close enough to pick up the copy of the driver's license plate. Satisfied that he had done all he could, he gave up the chase and went back to the crime side crime scene, where he found a team of Clackamas County sheriff's deputies. Uh, the woman was loaded into an ambulance and taken to the hospital in Portland, where she was pronounced dead on arrival. Wow. No identification, either in clothing or in the parking lot, was found, but after additional searching, deputies found a double-length pair of shoelaces tied together with loops at both ends, prompting some to speculate the woman had been hogtied tied at one point.
1: Mm.
0: A short time later, detectives uh, John Turner and Mike Machado arrived at the scene after being briefed on the morning's events. Turner took the license plate provided from Richard Bergio and ran it. So this man's heroic actions of chasing this perpetrator yes. and getting his license plate made all and the And also difference. the man
1: in the wheelchair too man he needs some praises for this as well for, oh, for sure. rolling out there performing cpr for for you know for yeah. acting it's 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 a harder thing to do yeah. than what people think to jump mm-hmm. into action when you just yeah. seen a violent attack most people want to turn the other way mm-hmm. or not get involved and this guy did all he could to save this woman's life even though she was covered in blood you know that's that right that can't go without saying that's pretty impressive
0: you know, if all places to pull into in the middle of the night, most businesses were closed. You pull into a Denny's that's open you, all the yeah, time. Bad pull decision. Pull
1: into a 24-hour Denny's. That's what I'm talking about. This guy is blatantly bold or stupid. Like, he's one or the other. Right. It's just, it's amazing that he even got this far.
0: Right. Yeah, and this victim, um, it makes you wonder. She was obviously not cool with going to a secluded area on this evening for whatever reason. It may be because they had a relationship. They'd gone together before. Mm-hmm. Um, Dayton, Dayton was like, eh, you know, we we don't have to go to my secluded forest area this time or whatever it was, uh, thankfully, because she would just have been another one in that dump site that night had she, she must have somehow convinced him that she wanted to make this quick, that she had to get going or whatever it was, but, you know, Something happened that pre- you know, prevented him from going to his his normal secluded area it, to do his right? crimes. it is
1: weird that he went to that extent, right there in the middle of the alley. You know, yeah. it's it's so strange with streetlights everywhere and people around, and like you said,
0: near an open. Well, she venue. tried she tried to get out and run, and he ended up like tackling her and stabbing her there right in the parking uh, okay. lot.
1: But it's just surprising that he wouldn't try to just tie her up or knock her unconscious. You know what I mean? Instead mm-hmm. of just, but that just it just goes to show like how. How much this bloodlust takes over, you know. At least that's what he says. You know, maybe he was in the midst the book, of a blinding—what
0: uh, did you say—a blinding raging headache, and
1: yeah, the the, the
0: book explains some of these situations in that, like he was conflicting with himself, or it was like there was moments where he'd be like, you know, I have to kill you, and then he'd be like, no, you know, you know, I'm gonna let you go. Like he was back and forth on this shit, and like some of the surviving victims, the rape victims, said that there was moments where he was said he was gonna kill me. And then I was able to change his mind one way or another. Like he was just back and forth, like a, almost like a split personality. Yeah,
1: you mean like uh, the, guy, the same guy that
0: stabs a 15-year-old in the stomach and then asks her to marry him? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's been exactly. like this his whole life. Precisely. So there may have been a moment where he was like, you know what, I'm going to take you back um, to Portland and, and drop you off. And then he changed his mind midway there, pulled it in the parking lot. She tried to get out and run. And he's in this blind rage and stabs her right there. Sounds about right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: He took that as an insult. So the he took detectives.
1: that as the biggest insult. You just declined his advances. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, you just insulted right. him, and now he feels like he's not going to get his sexual pleasures, and I think that just fuels yep. the rage more than anything. Just like the girl that he stabbed, she was, quote-unquote, not giving him as much attention that day, mm-hmm. and there you go. It just led to a yep. overboiling point, I guess. Pathetic. Yeah.
0: So Detective John Turner uh, ran the license plate number that was provided by Richard Bergio, and minutes later they learned that the pickup's registered owner was 33-year-old Dayton Leroy Rogers, whose address was about 20 miles south of the crime scene. Turner and a team of deputies reached Rogers' home at approximately 5 a.m., and they saw no sign of the pickup on the property, and they were subsequently told by a relative that Rogers was not home, that he could likely be found at his auto repair shop in Woodburn. So this must have been his wife Mm -hmm. that... uh, told him this information it was 5 35 a.m when detective turner arrived at rogers shop a man with bloodshot eyes answered the door smelling of alcohol and identified himself as dayton rogers after turner told rogers that uh, that he and the deputies were at part of a homicide investigation rogers allowed them inside when asked rogers told the detectives that he detectives that he had been at the shop all night and was drinking bourbon and strawberry mixers Mind if I take a look around, asked Turner. Go ahead and search the place, said Rogers. Search the truck, too, if you want. There you go. Rogers told the detective yeah, Rogers told the detective that his pickup truck had been at the shop all night. Turner shot him a dubious glance, walked over to the truck, and raised the hood. Been here all night, huh, asked Turner, as he attempted to place his hand on the engine's valve cover, which was too That's hot exactly to touch. That's exactly what I would have done. You haven't gone out at all, have you? <laughs> That's the first thing <laughs> right. I
1: would have thought. I've been like, let's just go see if the truck's hot. Oh, wow, it is. Check that out.
0: Yep. Oh. Yeah, and you, unna, you own you, you're running an engine repair shop here. You right. can't think that <laughs> we think you're that stupid for real. Seriously, um, Rogers or somebody had recently run the engine hard. Thought Turner as he pulled his hand away from the hot engine. What happened to your hand? Asked Turner, observing that Rogers' right hand was bandaged. Cut yourself? Rogers explained that he'd been using a hacksaw a few, year, a few hours earlier, and it suddenly slipped and cut his hand. Turner asked if he had left the shop for first aid, and Rogers responded that he had gone to the Williamette Falls Hospital in Oregon City that same morning to have the wound treated. Mm-hmm. Which he did. So he's already mixing up his stories here. He'd been there working on engines all night, now suddenly he's been at the hospital as right. well. His truck hasn't been moved, but it's hot. He's just these these detectives are slipping him up on all kinds of shit in this story. I think
1: he thought they were just going to check the inside of the truck for, like, evidence of the homicide, yeah. you know.
0: But he messed, him, yeah. he messed up. To detectives, there was no doubt that Rogers picked up was the one that was seen uh, fleeing the scene at the crime. It matched in appearance, and the license plate ID was exactly the same. Rogers was arrested a few minutes later and taken to jail in Oregon City, where he was held on suspe- a suspicion of murder. Meanwhile, the detectives identified the dead woman as a 25-year-old named Jennifer Lisa Smith, who was a mother of two. An additional background on Smith revealed that she had an arrest record for prostitution and indecent exposure. Background on Rogers revealed that he was no stranger of law enforcement either, as we know. He had quite an extensive, violent past. Right. Um, and as the detectives probed deeper into his background, they learned that he had been in and out of jail for a variety of reasons, including rape, parole, and probation violations, and for kidnapping a local sex worker. All in all, they learned that Rogers had spent 27 months in Oregon prisons before his parole was formally terminated in 1983. Meanwhile, acting out on a tip of one of Roger's relatives, so somebody that worked at the shop with him, I think it was like his father-in-law or something, worked at the engine repair shop, um, had seen him putting things in the uh, the wood-burning stove within the, the shop. Uh-oh. And um, basically he tipped off police that, hey, you might want to look through that to see what you can right. find. So they would return to uh, the auto repair shop where they would sift through the ashes in the wood stove in Roger's office, there they found what appeared to be remnants of a burned tennis shoe. Now part of the murder scene um was the the victim um from the Denny's parking lot. She only had one shoe. So ah. this is a, a connected piece here, a piece of the puzzle that was missing that they found in his Woodburn. And stone. there were
1: laces, shoe laces
0: at the crime yes. scene as well. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if these yep. shoes were missing laces or whatnot. I mean they were tied into loops to bound right. her. Um, An analysis later determined that metal parts found in the wood stove closely matched metal parts of the shoe that was discovered in the parking lot where Jennifer Smith was murdered. They also found pieces of colored glass, rhinestones, and star-shaped grommets inside the stove. Their sources were unknown at the time. Roger's truck had been impounded shortly after his arrest and after warrants had been obtained, it was carefully searched for evidence. There was blood inside the cab of the pickup, numerous knife cuts on the dashboards, upholstery, ceiling, and passenger door. God, that's dark. Yeah, it is. Like cuts all over the upholstery of the truck like how violently was he stabbing at her and and now that we know how many other victims there were this these stabs and slashes in the truck could have been from other victims as well
1: yeah oh for sure (laughs) it definitely was man i mean multiple cuts and dash and yeah because listen if they were fresh cuts and fresh blood i don't think he would have been as bold to be like search the truck right I think a lot of that was...
0: Yeah, he'd obviously taken a few minutes to clean up the truck before yeah, trying to act sure normal should, in his repair shop. He tried, you know. Yeah. They also found a single fingerprint matching that of Jennifer Smith's right finger out on the outside handle of the passenger door. He's nope, toast he's at this point on this yep. murder. Yeah. Next, in their efforts to build a stronger case against him, the detectives went to the hospital to see how much of the suspect's story about his wounded hand was true. After questioning the emergency room doctor who had attended attended to the wounds, the detectives learned that the cuts were not jagged as if they had been from a hacksaw blade. They had been smooth and clean, more like wounds that would have been caused by a knife blade. And because Jennifer Smith was a known sex worker and because of Rogers' continued interest in them, detectives hit Portland streets to interview as many as they could, focusing their attention on those who knew Jennifer. Not surprisingly, the detectives found several who knew Rogers, many of them talked to uh talk to uh, identified Rogers from a, also to talk to detectives and identified him from a photo layout several said they had told him his name was Steve mm-hmm. um as we mentioned earlier you know that's what he told these sex workers that he would frequent yeah. one of them even said that he they saw Jennifer Smith walk toward his pickup as if to get inside 3 hours before she was found murdered oh that's damning
1: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i can't believe they waited this long
1: to talk to these to these sex workers though you know I mean, I get it. I know why. Obvious reasons. They don't want to go right. down there. They don't think they're important. But, I mean, this could have blew yep. this case open a long
0: time ago. They knew about Steve. <laughs> this guy, Steve, mm-hmm. quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. They were yep. on to him. They'd locked him up on prior occasions, and he just kept getting yep. out. And it was only a matter of time before he took it to the next level and started murdering. Yep. Um According to the sex workers they talked to, he'd always had the, uh, the girls uh, completely undressed, after which he bound their hands and feet at the wrists and ankles with a rope, dog collars, wire, nylon stockings, shoelaces, and the like. Anything that would hold their arms and feet securely in place. But many said that Rogers went far beyond bondage, subjecting them to intense physical pain, torture, and even mutilation. Many of these women were scarred from from Leroy Rogers. They literally had bite marks, scars, yes. and you know, cut scars and things like that from him and had warned other sex workers about what you would be getting into if you got into his vehicle. One even told the detectives that Rogers had a foot fetish and found women's arches sexually arousing. At uh, An interesting point the detectives noticed considering that Jennifer Smith was barefoot when her body was found. Um, They also said that he usually bought vodka in the individual servings, one and a half ounce bottles those like served on airlines. One of the women said that he had subjected her to so much pain during a six-hour ordeal that she'd asked him to kill her. Wow. And yet they were still too afraid to go to authorities about this guy. What does that say? That's you know, that's all I could think about, about when I was hearing this testimony. About priorities of law enforcement. Like they, they're more worried that they're going to get in trouble, which was more likely to happen. Yes. Uh, they were going to get arrested for prostitution as opposed to taking down a violent sex offender. A here. woman
1: who was tortured so much that she wanted to die was yes. afraid to go to the police. Still too that afraid tells you everything you need yeah. to know right there.
0: That's so yeah. sad. Yeah. So from the autopsy of Jennifer Smith's body, the, de- the deputy state medical examiner determined that there were at least 11 knife wounds to the victim's body, 10 of which were very deep. Quote, there were other wounds, said Dr. Gunson, including two quarter inch wide bruises on both wrists. These bruises indicated that she'd been tied up, perhaps with shoelaces like found at the scene. After the investigators uh, presented their case to the Clackamas County Grand Jury, Dayton Rogers was indicted on charges of aggravated murder and the death of Jennifer Smith. The indictment alleged that uh, he murdered her during the course of rape, kidnapping, sexual abuse and torture. It also alleged that he, uh, Rogers killed Smith to cover up the other crimes. Um, Rogers uh, uh, retained attorney Arthur B. Noss in Oregon City to represent him, and he pleaded innocent of the charges and was held without bail. Hmm. Thankfully, finally, finally held without bail. Right? You sure,
1: you don't want to let him go on one more vacation,
0: huh? Yeah, let's let him go yeah. and kill another one before the trial, on trial on comes. Let's trip do that to
1: the Oregon forest
0: there. All right. Let him go camping. He's probably just going to learn his lesson and, and not do anything else. You know else, what? Let's just know, acquit him of all this. He's he's just a co anyways. <laughs> you know, I got a lawnmower that needs to be yeah. <laughs> repaired. I don't know about this. <laughs> he's just so good with motors. <laughs> right. Oh, In the meantime, on Monday, my grass is really <laughs> overgrown. I don't know how much longer I can take this. <laughs> In the meantime, on Monday, August 31st, Everett Banyard, a 46-year-old crossbow hunter in pursuit of prey on a private $90,000-acre timber farm southeast of Malala, Oregon, nearly stumbled over the nude, partially buried body of a young woman. And this is where the cluster dump site was discovered. Yes. And it's crazy timing because he's he's awaiting trial. He's, he's not getting bail this time. He's awaiting a murder trial for uh you know this woman that he had just and killed and you know that just a couple months after this the the dump site is found and you know the prosecution is doing backflips they're like you got to be kidding me
1: like right. once well they don't know yet it
0: takes yeah it takes the detectives discovery of his mini vodka bottles at the scene of all these bodies right, right. that makes the connection right. so the body that was stumbled ac- across by Everett Banyard was in an advanced state of decomposition and was partially covered with brush. The hunter left the forest as quickly as possible and reported his find to the Clackamas County uh, authorities. When investigators arrived at the remote site, a recreation area near the Malala River, the bow hunter led them to a, up an old dirt logging road through the rugged forest, uh, mixed with evergreens and dis, uh, deciduous trees to a nearly vertical slope where he discovered the body. Even though it was a little difficult to get to, the investigators had no trouble finding the corpse, and one thing was certain, she was a murder victim. Deputies were posted nearby to protect the scene because this was late at night when they, when they got up there and discovered the first body. Right. So they, they kept deputies posted up until they could uh, have criminalists arrive the next morning. And shortly after a search for evidence began the next day, searchers found two more decaying bodies within 50 feet of each other in the same general area. And the scene appeared to them to be a cluster dump similar to those used by Gary Ridgway. Unsure of what they were dealing with here, investigators temporar- temporarily halted the search while a tracking dog was brought in to assist the search for more bodies. And over the next five days, a total of seven female corpses were brought down from the forest ridge. Whoa. All were nude when found and all bore signs of stabbing, torture, and mutilation. Some of the victim's feet had been crudely removed at the ankle with what appeared to be a blade with a serrated, age, uh, serrated edge like that of a hot hacksaw. And we know why he did that. One vic- foot fetish, right? I mean, I wonder what he did yeah. with these feet right I, I wonder the same thing like where did where, where are, are those There's, did they end up in his in his uh wood stove at some point or I, I bet he kept them why cut them off just throw them out the window well, somewhere why cut them off when he was done
1: well maybe to use them for a little while longer
0: yeah oh. I don't know god one victim's foot had been a- cut approximately two-thirds of the way through the bone with the remainder broken off. This prompted detectives to consider that the perpetrator had sawed those women's feet off while they were still alive and conscious in an attempt to elicit additional pain and suffering. Mm. That's fucking dark to consider.
1: Yes, it is. But, oh my but God. not crazy. Not with this guy.
0: No. No, not from what we know from living witnesses right. that survived his crimes. I mean, he would he got off on inflicting pain. Like the more they screamed, the more he was excited by yeah, it. Yeah,
1: that's not off base.
0: Oh, That's what I'm saying. Like I, I, when I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I, I would almost rather be in the custody of Ted Bundy than this guy. Like as far as did, what you're going to go through. Yeah. Both were monsters, but man, this guy. Yeah, he's brutal on another absolutely level. Absolutely love to torture. Yeah, he got off on yeah. the torture. Almost Bob Berdella style. hmm Oh, yeah, very similar. Each of the victims were lying in varying degrees of decomposition, um, but two were markedly more advanced, having been there considerably longer than the others. Despite the striking similarities between the female victims in the Malala Forest Slope and Jennifer Smith, nudity, signs of stabbing, torture, mutilation, the detectives didn't at least at first focus on Dayton Leroy Rogers as a possible suspect. He was in jail, charged with that, uh, with the murder of Jennifer Smith. However, the detective Turner walked around the forest site as he soon spotted miniature vodka bottles, an old package that had been purchased in, and disposable orange juice bottles, the same kind found in the back of Dayton Rogers' pickup. And he also remembered many of the sex workers they had talked to saying that typically he would pick them up, then he would stop at the liquor store and pick up those miniature vodka bottles as well as uh, little bottles of orange juice because he loves screwdrivers. Right, and. And so this was just an immediate, like, you know, light bulb goes on in this detective's head. He's like, oh, Dayton, I've got you now, motherfucker. Yep. yep. As a result, it didn't take long for Turner to begin focusing on Dayton Rogers as the prime suspect in the Malala Forest murders. He also reasoned that when it all was said and done, many, if not most, of the Malala Forest victims would turn out to have a history of prostitution arrests. The dead, it turned out, were identified over the next several months as Lisa Marie Mock, 23 years old, Maureen Ann Hodges, who was 26, Christine Lotus Adams, who was 35, Nandis K. Cervantes, a.k.a. Nani K. Austin, who was 26, Raitha Giles, who was 16, and Cynthia Diane DeVore, who was 21. One victim remains unidentified, and just as Turner had figured, most of the victims had worked either as sex workers at the time of their deaths or they had arrest records for prior prostitution offenses. Some were heroin addicts. Only one had no links to prostitution or drugs. Yeah. So his suspicions were correct in that this was the type of person that Dayton had been targeting. Um, so everything is matching yep. up as far as Dayton. Yep. At the time of the root g- gruesome discovery in the Malala Forest, the investigators wouldn't say... What they had for evidence against him. However, one source close to the investigation maintained that he was the prime suspect in the forest murders, and they had enough evidence to bring him to trial in those killings. But they wanted to wait and see how the trial for Jennifer Smith turned out before charging him with the Malala Forest murders. Yeah. Why? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Get him. Like, let's see if he gets uh, convicted for the Jennifer Smith murder. Which was there was so much evidence, it would be unbelievable if he somehow was found innocent <laughs> right. in that one. Right. So. Yeah. So once they have him put away for that one, then they can really build their case regarding the Malala Forest murders. So let's let's uh, go through the first trial real quick at Rogers' trial, which began in February of 1988. The deputy DA told the jury that Rogers murdered Jennifer Smith by design, following a pattern he'd established with sex workers. He called Rogers a vicious predator who killed for sexual thrill. You'll find that the reason he went downtown, Port- to downtown Portland was to satisfy what you'll find to be his bizarre sexual appetite. You'll find that his sexual appetite included bondage, masturbation, and intent to inflict intense physical pain. Roger's attorney told jurors that he would not like his, cl- he would, they would not like his client, but insisted they were to- there to decide whether Mr. Rogers did what was tantamount to a criminal act, and not to judge his sexual amours. He admitted that Rogers killed Jennifer Smith, but contended he did so in self-defense. Oh God! So he, he, even his own defense attorney saying, "You're not going to like him." Yes, he killed her, but <laughs> you're not going to like him. <laughs> That's not <laughs> I a don't good start. Like him.
1: Uh, I was texting somebody. He was trying to talk to me the other day. He literally stabbed me in the arm. Uh, you're not going to like him. My
0: skin <laughs> crawls when I'm in five feet of the, within five feet of this son of the I mean, bitch. this guy. <laughs> but just give him an open mind. What, okay? what they
1: call, I mean, this guy's a son of a motherfucker. But uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> It's <laughs> my favorite line so far. It's funny as fuck, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> so his defense claimed that Smith uh, spotted more than two hundred dollars in Rogers' wallet when she, when they stopped at the convenience store to buy the orange juice, and she decided to rob the defendant at knife point. Later, when Rogers got out of the car, the truck to pee, Smith pulled a knife from the glove department and brought it close to Rogers' throat and demanded his wallet a struggle followed and turned into a wrestling match for the knife in which rest, uh, Jennifer Smith was stabbed several times and killed purely by accident. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Where's Eileen Warnos when you need her, right? right?
0: Damn. Why couldn't one
1: of these why couldn't one of these serial killers that picked up prostitutes picked up Eileen, you know? That would have been some sweet justice. Right.
0: It's like that that meme like what are the odds two serial killers in the same car at the same time. <laughs> she pulls out a <laughs> and then Eileen <laughs> just pulls out a fucking pistol and <laughs> pew! I like my odds, <laughs> right? <bitch. laughs> <laughs> That's what he needed. That would bro. have been sweet justice well, if she had, yeah. if she had been uh, one of the ones that he Seriously. picked up. Mm. Makes you wonder, you know. Uh, Aline obviously um, was a serial killer herself, but how many of the men she picked up that she killed weren't were victims, but also maybe they were serial. There was probably statistically there might have been a few six sons of bitches that she picked up that she killed that had killed women or assaulted them or were around the corner from doing yeah, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, statistically,
0: right? I mean, you would have to imagine statistically speaking, that... We're not going to speak to any specific victims she right. killed, but I mean, it's a possibility that a couple of them might have either been already or were about to be exactly.
1: killers themselves. And I'm sure she, she took certain Johns as well. I'm sure it wasn't just anybody... Maybe she was the one that they like, you know. If she stood with other girls, you know, on a certain area or whatever, maybe she was the one. She was like, "Oh, I'll take this guy. I'll take which this ones, one." <laughs>
0: which which one? Which guy is the, is the date? Is the right? It's like, oh, it, uh, trucker Steve. Oh, this or guy tried to stab you. Which one's the one that's abusing you? Oh, this guy you? tried to stab yeah.
1: you last time. Eileen, Eileen, this dude, he, he wants right. to
0: see you. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, have I got a a great woman for you to see right. tonight? Oh, she's you're gonna have so much fun right? with her you guys going to hit it off. Here she is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. clears throat> oh, damn. Yeah. So during the trial, several of Dayton's former sexual assault victims took the stand and told their tales. And the prosecution presented the evidence also that Jennifer Smith was tortured, which really put a monkey wrench in the old theory that she was acting in self-defense. Right. When you look at the evidence that shows she was tortured, or that Dayton was acting Quote, in self-defense. No one... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Quote, no one wants Dayton Leroy Rogers released, Prosecutor Noss uh, had said only minutes before the jury left the courtroom to decide his client's fate. I don't want him released. You don't want him released. I question whether Mr. Rogers himself even wants to be released. What is needed is permanent isolation of this man. In his fantasy land, he's become a sexual monster you've heard about from these girls. He developed and, and nurtured these feelings into a ritual. It's a pattern you can't ignore. He's a sick man. But do we kill him? Do we have a death sentence for people who are as sick, as depraved as this, continued Noss. Look at the evidence. After the killing of Mrs. Smith, he goes back to work and thinks about going to a coffee shop. The state has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that he's a sick man. But, argued Noss, he doesn't deserve the death sentence. Four hours later, the 12 jurors returned and announced that they had unanimously voted that the murder of Jenny Smith was deliberate. They also unanimously voted that Jenny's murder was an unreasonable response to any provocation from the victim. However, after one juror adamantly opposed the death penalty, all 12 agreed that Rogers would not pose a continued threat to society because he would uh, be imprisoned for life, and Judge Gilroy immediately sentenced Dayton to life in prison. They would, however, later regret their decision when they learned that life in Oregon didn't necessarily mean that he couldn't get out at some point. They were under the impression that that meant he would— die in prison, but there was still a chance after this murder sentencing, when it comes to Jennifer Smith, that he could see the light of day again. Right, And uh, until they learned that there was another huge trial coming for the Malala Forest murders, these jurors would be nervous about their decision not giving him the death sentence for the fact that he might get out. But then word would get out that there was another big trial coming out mm-hmm. um, in which he would be convicted of many more murders. And then they kind of breathed a sigh of relief after that. Right. So, the second trial uh, would occur, and for the next two months, Turner and his colleagues worked closely with the DA's office and presented the worst serial uh, murder case in Oregon's history to a grand jury. And that's saying a lot when you consider the other people that have worked in, the other serial killers that have worked in Oregon.
1: Yeah, seriously. I don't even know if you can call it the worst, but it's, I mean, (laughs) it's definitely bad. It's definitely one of the worst,
0: for sure. So on May 4th, 1988, Dayton was indicted on several charges of aggravated murder under various theories of law for the deaths of Raythe Giles, Lisa Mock, Nani Cervantes, Cynthia DeVore, Christine Adams, and Maureen Hodges. He was not charged in the death of the unidentified victim, although the investigators were certain that he had murdered her, too. As before, he pleaded innocent. Jury selection, this part is so fucking great to me. He gets an all female jury <laughs> jury selection, which began on February 6, 1989, took nearly two months to complete. Ironically, considering the types of crimes Dayton was being charged with committing, an all woman panel of 12 was seated with an additional female ah. as an alternate. <laughs>
1: his, <laughs> so his defense attorney char- is garbage absolute garbage. Oh I would fire that guy, right. like so. I mean, I'm glad he went away, obviously. But, man, that defense attorney was Listen, I don't like this guy. You don't like this guy. (laughs) Can we just put this guy away? I'm tired of working with him.
0: Can we just get a panel of all women to judge him, please? Whatever. Whatever you want to (laughs) do, prosecution, I'm down. Right. Right. When the trial finally opened on March 30th, 1989, the prosecutor outlined his case for jurors contending that a knife identical to the one that was used to kill Jenny Smith was found near the Malala Forest victim's bodies. Man, could he have done more connecting of himself to all of these crimes? I don't think so. The vodka bottles, the same knife being used. He didn't try like, not
1: to. That's what I'm saying. Like he he wasn't wasn't very smart. He really wasn't. He so was just impulsive.
0: Is what they're saying. This is amazing to me. So he commits this crime against Jennifer Smith in the Denny's parking lot. He then flees there, goes back to his cluster dump site, and throws the knife to where the bodies are, connecting himself even more Why? you know there's already the vodka bottles there yeah but my god they they're gonna find they're gonna find you guilty of the jennifer smith one obviously you've been seen your truck's license plate's been taken so now let's go ahead and connect myself to the other eight seven or eight people <laughs> i've killed in the woods too by using taking that knife i killed jennifer smith with and putting it there maybe great idea maybe he
1: was doing it on purpose he was like i'm definitely gone i might as well go in as a monster so people will at least fear me Or something.
0: I don't know, but he had his chance to talk and, like, confess to those other murders, and he never did. That's true. That's true. Like, he never talked, so I don't know if it's about that. Maybe he's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he just thought that that dump site was just not going to be found. Yeah. Maybe. So the prosecutor uh, also described the torture, the grisly details of victims having their feet sawed or cut from their bodies, um, and how one, Nani Cervantes, had been uh, eviscerated from a machete having been inserted into the area of her vagina and subsequently sliced up the middle of the sternum. By the time he was finished with the presentation of what the jury would be considering, there was little left for the imagination. So he really put it all out there for these jury members. For the next five weeks, the jury had horrifying testimony from many of the women who Dayton LeRoy Rogers had violated and tortured at one time or another, but who had miraculously, miraculously survived. Each explained in graphic detail, one tearfully, uh, to to the atrocities that Dayton had committed against them. Mm. Bob Thompson, the Oregon State Police criminologist who worked closely on the case explained how he found pieces of colored glass in Lisa Mock's hair and how he also how although he hadn't been able to determine the source they were they were similar to glass found inside Dayton's wood stove. He also testified that hairs found inside Dayton's pickup were macroscopically and microscopically similar to the head hairs he compared to the remains of Lisa Mock, Nani Cervantes and Cynthia DeVore. The prosecutor, in his closing argument, pointed at Dayton, quote, This man is obsessed, totally consumed in a sexual way with women's feet and dominance. What is the ultimate act of dominance? It is to remove that foot. We submit that this is what happened in the Malala, in the Malala forest. If there is a signature to, the, to a crime under the, those circumstances, you can look at the signature and see the identity of the killer. The evidence is the mark of Zorro. It is the signature. The defendant, ladies of the jury... Not not only committed these murders, but he might as well have written his name on the victims' corpses.
1: Damn, not a that bad monologue. One hell of a
0: ending <clears throat> statement yeah, right there.
1: That's that's damn good. And that's
0: how you prosecute. And on <laughs> and on May fourth, after barely six hours of deliberation, the jury found Dayton guilty of aggravated murder on all counts. For the first time in public, Dayton dressed in a conservative dark suit, displayed emotion by covering his head in his hands, shaking his head. He could be heard saying no repeatedly. <sighs> On Wednesday, June 7th, 1989, after more than 17 hours of grueling deliberation, the jury voted unanimously that Dayton had murdered his victims deliberately and without reasonable, if any, provocation, and that he would be continue, continuing threat to society, whether behind prison walls or on the outside. And Judge Bagley sentenced Dayton Leroy Rogers to death by lethal injection. Quote, it was righteous justice, said Turner, righteous in the sense that an all-female jury convicted him and decided his fate. Yep. Yep.
1: You know what? I bet Beautiful. I bet the uh, defense attorney thought, you know most you got a better chance of women not giving you the death penalty. That's what he thought, even though it's it's a man who's doing crimes against women, even though I think mm-hmm. you still have a better chance of getting life in prison from a woman just because of uh, generally and, more empathy. Or yeah what? I think so. And I think that's especially what they were thinking at the time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're thinking that women are you know more nurturing, they're more forgiving. Uh, The more motherly, you know, maybe they have problem children, you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. And maybe that was the defense's thinking. Yeah. But in hindsight, it looks like a really stupid move.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, because of course, almost no one ever gets killed when you put them on death row. They just sit around and it's... Yeah. If if you want them to have a worse life, just put them in Gen Pop, and most likely they'll they'll get taken out anyway. If they committed these heinous criminals against uh, crimes against women, someone is going to take care of them behind bars. Right, exactly. Um, aside from his testifying at his first trial, Dayton Leroy Rogers has not spoken to authorities since invoking his rights against self incrimination shortly after the arrest of the murder of Jenny Smith, and again when Detective Machado, Machado tried to question him about the Malala Force murders, he has shown no remorse for his crimes. He was sentenced to death three times, and three times Oregon's St- Supreme Court vacated the sentence of death and remanded the cases for a new trial. The first two Supreme Court decisions came in 1992 and 2000. In both instances, a jury imposed the death penalty. And on October 11, uh, 2012, the Oregon Supreme Court vacated his latest death sentence and re- remanded the case for a new trial. This is so stupid. Oh, I know. Just give him a life sentence and be done with it. Stop with the trials. Do it. That, to keep finding him like. How much wasted money? Like, it's just so dumb. It is. It's our legal system, man. You know, it's... In November of 2015, a Clackamas County jury sentenced him to death for a fourth time. Oh, here we go. And according to his defense attorney, Rogers would have waived all future appeals and allocated his crimes in exchange for a true life sentence instead of the death penalty, which at this point should just happen because we keep having trials. He keeps getting the death penalty, and then they keep, you know, the Supreme Court keeps vacating it just to have another trial to do. It's just a loop of wasted time and money for everyone. Um, and at age 67, he currently sits on Oregon's death row at the Oregon State Penitentiary where he will surely die of natural causes before ever being executed, in my opinion.
1: Oh, of course. Of course. I'm sure there's plenty plenty of killers in front of him. But, right. yeah, like you said, he'll die in there. Probably while he's playing chess or some shit, living out the rest of his life. Son of a bitch. Right. Probably painting and learning <sighs> literature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That son of yeah, a bitch. Someone,
0: someone on the internet will probably buy his artwork or his writings.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So he can get a little more commissary. Well, that's that's good. I'm I'm glad he's still able to do something while he's in prison.
1: Ah, fuck that guy, yeah,
0: man. Uh, let's let's hope he he's, you know, it's, it's hot in his cell and he's perspirating yeah. a lot and it stinks. Yeah,
1: and you know, um, and you know,
0: and he wishes he could have some oh my god, but he right. can't.
1: He can't. He can't. He can't even have true crime pine. He can't have nothing. I no. would be dishonored if he wore true crime pine if you guys don't know what that is that's true crime guy's very own scent from oh my gaia oh my gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum free products their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness and they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum free organic ingredients and like i alluded to there's lots of scents like true crime pine, of course, and vanilla, cherry, almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, sailor, uh, pear is another good one. And guys, because you're true crime guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C R E E P E R, you know what you are, because you're a true crime guys listener, for 15% off your order at shop underscore oh my gaia on Instagram. Or ohmygaya.com. That's o h m y g a i a.com. Guys, you won't regret it. Going all natural, organic. It feels nice. It's light. I love it. Put a little, put a little under my arms. Put a little maybe on my chest. You know what I mean? Put it a little on your on the outside of your shirt if you want. The scent is perfect. It's not too strong. You know, I, I've never been a fan of colognes in my life. I've never liked colognes because it's, I spray that shit on and that's all I can smell. And then once you stop smelling it, it didn't go away. Now everyone else, that's all they can smell. you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but with a good right. smelling, with a good smelling natural deodorant, you can put it anywhere. It's not gonna stain your clothes. You know what I mean? it's not it's not gonna be harmful if it somehow gets in your mouth or whatever, but don't I mean, don't eat it, but it smells like it smells good enough. you can eat it some of them. you know what I mean? Like pear. Mm, just get you a big old scoop of that pear. I'm kidding. Don't,
0: don't eat that. I may have done that. You may have done it. <laughs> I can either, neither conform, confirm nor okay, deny. Okay, well,
1: I wouldn't blame you either way. Uh, it was delicious. Uh, well, there you go. There you go, people. Oh, my Gaia. <laughs> oh, <my> Gaia. <laughs> com. Guys, check it out, and you will not regret it, guys. <laughs> All right, man. What We got some shout-outs to get to this week, some new
0: reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to thank you, those of you who have taken the time to go rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, It means a lot to us, Um, so we got a few here to shout out. I want to say thank you to Mick Mama for Life in the U.S. said, fantastic. I've been binge listening to these podcasts for a few weeks. I'm so glad I found it. The Mix of Crime and Their Stories, Dark Sense of Humor is my favorite. It is easily my new favorite true crime podcast, and I've listened to a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Mick Mama for Life. Uh, And then we got Morrison Mama in the U.S. We got a lot of mamas this week, and she says... N.C. Creeper here. Hey, y'all, love the show. I listen daily anytime I can. Love your sense of humor, literally saying the same things as y'all. As in the Chris Watts case, you were talking about when the police officer called uh, from his house to come home, when you were talking about his reaction, his butthole puckered. Uh, <laughs> she said she thought the same thing and laughed her ass off at that Nice.
1: <laughs> right on. Right on. We're getting, getting quite a North Carolina fan base over here.
0: Right on. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. You're like infamous nice to, over there in your neck of the nice woods. To,
1: uh, I'm going to have to do, do a little meet up here. Meet up some Carolina Creepers. Right? Cool,
0: cool. I'm flying under the radar in Nevada, man. That's uh, that's way I like. Well, it. <laughs> well, you're. We hardly ever hear from Nevada. No, nah, we have a
1: lot of Nevada creepers. They're just if you look on, you know, if you go on Instagram, you can see them because they're at you know Golden Knights games or they're on the Strip or whatever. I, I see, right. go, I see you, uh, Nevada creepers out there.
0: If but in Vegas, speaking of oh my Gaia. I got my my beard going. My playoff beard is getting nice Ooh. and big because the Knights are Hell still in yeah, this thing are. and I'm not trimming that thing until we win the cup. Can't. So I'm using a lot of oh my guy beard oil right now. Right
1: on. Right on. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I'm super excited about the Knights. I'm watching them from here on out. I saw that I saw the highlights yeah. of the last game. I'm like, "Hell yeah, let's see let's see what's going to happen. See what's going down."
0: Yeah.
1: Um also, I want to give a uh, I want to we... give one more special shout out. Real... Are you done with the reviews or do we have any more?
0: We got okay. one more, and then you can all do right, your special ahead. shout out. Uh, I want to thank Lo- Lois Lane in the U.S. Uh, just put some fire emojis and five stars, and that's that's the way to go. If you guys don't want to write out a big yeah. thing, you don't you don't know what to say. Right. Just throw in some fire emojis and and click five stars, and then we get th- we see the fire emoji review, and we get to give you a shout out. Otherwise, we don't you know if you just click five stars and you don't write anything in there, then we don't get we don't see who yeah. did it. So I no idea. So thank
1: all yeah, of you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Also, I want to give a big shout out to. Uh, the person who gave me this amazing coffee mug that I'm drinking out of today, uh, Jake Tindo on Instagram. Jake, a big supporter of the show. We appreciate you very much. Guys, check out at um, Smoking Jacks on Instagram. They are smoking meat up there in Michigan and it looks amazing. It make looks, ugh, oh, it looks fantastic. You're talking about Mouth-watering. brisket, Mouth-watering. ribs. These dudes know how to cook, okay? Smokin' Jacks and they just sent me this amazing mug. Um, Lauren, have you got yours in the mail yet? Can't wait
0: to get mine. I'm it's, guessing it's, it's coming today. Now it's
1: on the way. I've been drinking out of mine every morning. Yep. It's great. Keeps your coffee nice and warm. And it has like a little little slide lid. You know, it has the nice compression fitting cap with the slide lid. Keeps your coffee nice and warm, or your drink cold. Whatever whatever you're sipping on. Big shout to Rach in Japan so, too.
0: Sent us a bunch of goodies yes, from Japan as
1: well. Japan, Rach. Thank you so much for that. That's that's pr- my kids. Uh, right now, there's origami all over my house. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and my my daughter uses the sake set to drink her water in at at dinner, so she
0: loves that little. Tiny I love sake the snaps. Set. She send us she sends us Snapchats on a on a daily basis as well yeah. of all the different things that she sees in Japan and like all the little cultural differences that are just fascinating. They really are. I've learned a lot about their culture over there. And, like it's just cool. Just she walks around grocery stores and just you know shoots all kinds of stuff that she sees, like getting in taxis. Yeah. I learned that to taxi drivers, it's like rude to open your own door. They're supposed to open and close the door for you. They have like this handle thing yeah. that they pull on, and it like a school bus, and it opens the door for you. That's awesome. This little shit like that. It is cool. cool.
1: And like they really love some fried foods over there in Japan, don't they? I didn't realize they love.
0: Yeah, everything is like breaded and fried oh. over there. Like everything. They love
1: some fried foods and corn. Crazy. Jesus, they love some cream yeah. corn. I seen a. She sent me a picture of a <laughs> cream corn sandwich. I was like, almost threw up.
0: Oh, I was like, God, God!
1: It looks like it looks like a biscuit, right? That that's solid all the way around, yeah. but it has cream corn filling, and it's like you break it open. Yeah, I guess
0: don't knock it till you try it, huh? But, uh, I don't
1: know, man. Just like, but it's just like if you <laughs> ate it homemade meal, like so let's say you made cream corn and you made homemade biscuits. Yeah, whatever, mix those together. But in a package that's sealed,
0: like uh, like at a gas station, yeah.
1: no thanks, man. No, thanks. I'm yeah, not, it's a little weird. I'm
0: not throwing that in the microwave. I generally don't eat gas station sandwiches regardless. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's, that's, probably,
1: just me. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, if it's if it's a homemade homemade biscuit and some corn, yeah, okay, that's cool. But I, I don't know about this microwavable shit. I'm not I'm not down for that. It looked like a, uh, you seen those Uncrustables that they have in stores, the PB&Js? Yeah. yeah it looked yeah. like that, yeah, but yeah. it had corn in it. But it was more of like a biscuit wow. texture. Huh.
0: Yeah, gross. Well, if you want the cream corn sandwich of Patreon pages, check out our patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Two bucks a month gets you access to our premium episode, which comes out once a month. One out of every four episodes yeah. is on Patreon, not on our uh, regular feed. That's why if you miss a week, it's not us not podcasting. It's us on Patreon doing a special episode for the patrons. That's right. Two bucks a month gets you access to that. If you go up to five bucks a month, you get just the banta, where me and Michael sit down every Friday mm-hmm. and we shoot the shit. People send us questions. You get to know us a little bit better. And we just joke around. We don't really talk true crime too much, but we just talk about you know everyday stuff. Mm-hmm. This week, Michael wasn't feeling well, so I did it alone. So you got a solo podcast, about 20 minutes of me just rambling about stupid stuff. Right. Um, that's five bucks a month. Get you that as well as a very prestigious gold creep fan sticker at the $5 yeah. level. And then $10 a month, you can have a conversation with us. We're doing one next week. Uh, if you get in now... To the creep of the crop level, ten dollars Patreon a month. Well, by the time you can jump into a Zoom call with us, right? Well, by the
1: time you hear got hear this, guys, it's in two days, right? This comes out on Wednesday, so this Friday, in two days, uh, we will be having a Zoom call on Patreon. If you're on the ten dollar level, you can jump on there, and we will send we will post with a link to the Zoom meeting, and you just show up on time, guys, and we'll all chill out, have a conversation, shoot the shit. It's very laid back. Um, it's nothing structured. Yeah, you'll have us
0: for about thirty minutes yeah. to just talk about
1: whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, about thirty minutes, and then we jump off there and do just the banter. And you can ask questions, and then get your answers uh, right there on the just the banter that we post on Friday evenings. So it's it's a, it's the best way to engage with the show, in my opinion. Um, and we have a lot of yep. fun with it too, and we learn a lot about our listeners, which is pretty cool. All right. Anything else?
0: Speaking of listeners, if you haven't listened to. Uh, our other shows under the true crime guys and umbrella check out
1: strange and unexplained strange and unexplained just released episode 60 60 on monday
0: where's the time where
1: has it gone strange and unexplained guys we cover uh lots of unsolved missing persons or just strange happenings um on that show Uh, we've gotten quite a few case suggestions that we've already covered on Strange and Unexplained. And I know if you just found True Crime Guys, you're making your way through the catalog, What? that's cool. No, no problem. Take your time. Strange and Unexplained ain't going nowhere. It'll be there. But if you're all caught up on True Crime Guys, you're already on Patreon, try that. Check out... You can search True Crime Guys in your app and you'll see Strange and Unexplained show up right below there. It is produced by us, obviously, True Crime Guys. And then there's also a Patreon page for that as well, patreon.com slash s and where you will get even more content. There's another show that I release on Mondays called Strange Shorts on that Patreon, um, as well as Sandu Stories. Sandu Stories is our once-a-month special episode for Strange and Unexplained, kind of like we do the Patreon special every four weeks for True Crime Guys. Every four weeks on Sandu now, because the first three were released on the free platform, but from here on out, they will only be on Patreon on the $5 tier. But Sandu Stories is like it's like an old-time radio show. It's where the case is writ, read, read to you like a story rather with voice actors, sound effects. Uh, you know, it, it kind of paints a picture for you. It's it's a little easier to listen to. Uh, most most people say it reminds them of an old-school radio show, and I think I think that's yep. that's pretty much it. It's kind of what I was going for. You know, something that's kind of it just draws you in. It's like listening to a movie almost. And we have different voice actors in that. You know, you don't have to listen to me do all the voices. Uh, Lorne is pretty much our starring actor in most roles, as you can imagine. Uh, so oh, I get to play a killer quite <laughs> yeah, often. Yeah, it it's awesome. <laughs> I really, I, you man, you really nailed it, especially in the first two, the first, well, yeah, nice. and third one too. The, the bowling alley one may be my favorite actually so far. Now this one coming up, this one right. coming up is going to be a little different. Uh,
0: it comes natural, Michael. Uh, I, <laughs>
1: I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. <laughs> <I'm just kidding.
2: laughs>
1: but this, this Sandu Stories coming up is is going to be a little different, uh, which it'll be out on Monday. No. Yes. Next Monday. So look out for that right on. Sandu Stories chapter four. And just
0: just quickly, just to remind you guys, uh, when it comes to Patreon, if you guys don't like monthly things that you have to pay for, you can always pay up front for a yes. year and it actually gets a discount. So... On the two dollar level, twenty one bucks gets you a full twelve month, and you don't even have to worry about. That's it That's right, anymore. you get a ten percent discount bucks and you're done for a year.
1: Ten percent discount, guys. Yeah. Oh, and great news! Uh, if you do want to sign up for Strange and Unexplained as well and try that now, uh, annual memberships are available on there as well. Patreon finally let me do that. I don't nice. know how the criteria works for that. It's just you kind of, whenever they make it available for you, you can use it. So when I first started yep. Patreon with for Strange and Unexplained. They weren't available, but now they are. So you guys can sign up for a year, which makes it so much easier. Not having to worry about that constant draw from your account every month. I know how it feels. It's hard to keep track of everything. You already got Netflix, Hulu, fucking Xbox Live and shit, if you're like me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it gets a little out of hand. So the yearly subscriptions, I think, really help put everything into focus.
0: But yeah. uh, uh, All right, we've rambled enough about our wait,
1: shit. Wait, one more thing. The album. Oh. The mixtape. I got. I got to talk oh. about the mixtape because it comes out tomorrow. If you're listening to this on tomorrow, if you're listening to this what? on Wednesday, the 17th, it comes out tomorrow on the 18th. Mark, your actually, Wednesday important. is the Stay 16th, but the album still day. comes what out on the 18th. Do, Carry on, yeah, buddy, guys. I'm super excited. Search on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube Music, TikTok, whatever the hell you listen to music on. Search True Crime Guys mixtape, and that shit will be there. I hope. <laughs> it better because <laughs> I put in a lot of work nice. and a lot of time into this. So I hope you guys like it. Very excited about that True Crime Guys mixtape. This will be volume one. It doesn't say volume one, but this will be volume one. So more to come. More to come. All right. All right. That's it. We're done.
0: Thank you, everyone. We will see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys.
1: True Crime Guys, guys. in the desert, we like a verrass. It's okay if you clicked on us cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk, get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime, crime. in the desert, we like a Mirage It's okay if you clicked on us cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk, get
2: you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.